Amen. How awesome is it to see the kids up here worshiping the Lord, quoting scripture? It's awesome. Thank you, guys. And welcome to all of you here at the Shea Campus, over in the venue, over in the chapel, all of you guys over at Cactus, welcome. All of you at Northridge, I miss you guys. I wish I could be up there, but we're here today. I told the tech guys if they could stretch that middle screen a little bit to make me look thinner, that would be great for you guys up there, but it doesn't work live, so you guys are stuck with this one. That's all right. Well, my name's Kevin Ewell. I'm one of the pastors here at Scottsdale Bible Church and just excited to be with you this morning as we celebrate this whole idea of being better together and this idea of unity and what that all looks like. And if you guys remember last week, Jamie kind of walked us through, you know, five, he gave them all P words because he's a pastor, but five things that, that we're better together when we're united. You guys remember what they are? We're going to do a little test. Uh, remember what they are? Here we go. We got purpose. We got prayer, power, perseverance and presence, right? All of those we gain as, a, as an advantage of being united together. This whole idea of being better together. And so we're gonna pick up that theme today as we talk about this idea of unity. And I was sitting there thinking about, okay, what, what's the best way to illustrate this? And I remembered this. My now 14-year-old son, who's far too cool to hang out with dad, back when he was a little guy, about five years old, he would wake up early every morning. Oh my gosh, would he wake up early. And so we had a little tradition. We would go downstairs and we'd snuggle up on the couch and we'd fire up the TV. Not the best tradition, but a tradition nonetheless, all right? And so we'd watch TV, just me and my son. We'd sit there and there's only so much Blue's Clues and Door the Explorer a dad can take. And so I learned that if I could get him hooked on animal shows, he would sit and just lock into these animal shows. So we'd watch Animal Planet. And this one particular morning, we're watching Animal Planet, and it's all about the Amazon rainforest, I think. But the whole first 15-minute segment is all about this scorpion rolling through the Amazon rainforest. And this thing is fighting off spiders like three times as big as it. It's killing lizards and eating them. It's grabbing grasshoppers in its pinchers and just toying with them and ripping them apart. I mean, it's just rolling through the Amazon. And right before it goes to a commercial break some ominous music comes on and the narrator comes on the screen and says, but even the greatest bug has common enemy. And it cuts to a scene of an ant. Goes to commercial. I mute it. My little five-year-old son's sitting there and I go, what are you thinking about, bud? He says, dad, if you could be any bug in the world, what would you be? <laughs> and I thought, I don't know, son, what would you be? I'd be a scorpion, dad. Shocking. Okay, shocking, you'd be a scorpion. How about you, dad, what would you be? You know what I think I'd be, son? I think I'd be an ant. This little five-year-old punk just starts talking trash like you would not believe to his dad. Are you kidding me, dad? If I was, I would smoke you as a scorpion. I would grab you with my pinchers. I wouldn't even eat you. I would just throw you back and forth between my pinchers. Then I'd let you go and think you're getting away. And then I'd grab you again. I wouldn't even sting you for a while, dad. I would just toy with you. But a scorpion would smoke an ant, dad. I'm like, okay, just let this little five-year-old run his mouth. Show comes back on. We unmute it. Scorpion's cruising along, comes up to a line of ants, and my son goes, <laughs> watch this! You're gonna get smoked, Dad! We proceed to watch for about the next three minutes, about 10 or 12 ants scurry in front of the scorpion to the point that he can't get a beat on any one of them, and so he's just doing this back and forth. And as he's doing this, eight or nine ants climb up on the back of the scorpion. 
and its tail is up, ready to go, but it can't get a lock on anybody. And these eight or nine ants get on the tail and just begin to stretch it out and peel it back. Then eight or nine more get up on one pincher and just stretch that pincher out this way. Eight or nine more get on the other one and stretch it out this way until this thing is just sprawled out like this. Then these ants working together actually get up underneath the scorpion and pick it up off the ground. So now it has no traction. It's just moving its legs. And then my favorite part, three little ants climb up on the back, go back to the tail and just pop that tail right off. Take it down into the hole. Then they get up on the right pincher and off it goes, carries it down into the hole. Same thing, left pincher, down it goes. Nothing left but a torso and some legs. These little ants come up and just trim off the legs. They fall to the ground and they carry the torso of this scorpion down into the hole. And my son's just sitting there going. And I look at this little five-year-old and I, I, this is what I do. I just go, smells like smoke. Cause you just got smoke sucker, right? Just, uh, I don't know where he gets it. But man, it's a, it was a great example to me of man, when we unite together, when anything unites together, you know what, a single ant against a scorpion, yeah, it would get smoked. No shot, but you never see an ant alone. And ants are notorious for putting their interests, putting the interests of the rest of the colony ahead of their own and fighting together as a united family to protect their own, to protect what's important to them. So here's where, here's where we're gonna go. Here's the main kind of point of today. You give me a united family a united family in the hands of an all-powerful God, it is world-changing. You give me a united family in the hands of an all-powerful God, there is no limit to what God can do with that. So the question is, as Scottsdale Bible Church, as Scottsdale Bible Church, both at Shea, at Cactus, at Northridge, what are we gonna unite around? What are we gonna be united around? But I'm telling you right now, we unite together as a church in the hands of an all-powerful God, there is no limit to what God can do. I think Paul's gonna give us two things from the book of Philippians, two things that he's gonna say, here's what you, you wanna unite around something, church? Unite around this. So I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna dive into our time in the word. We're gonna be in Philippians chapter one, but let me pray before we dive into the word this morning. Father, thank you so much for this precious gift you've given us in the word of God. God, I pray that we would handle it well. I pray that your word would do what only your word can do and that is speak to our hearts. God, let it, let it bypass any distractions. Let your Holy Spirit work in each and every one of us. And God, it's been my prayer. It will continue to be my prayer till you call me home, God, that you would unite your church around a common vision, a common mission so that we can impact this world for your kingdom and for your gospel. So God, we ask that. We ask big things of you because you're a big God capable of doing big things. So unite us together and go before us, and you do what only you can do. We'll thank you in advance for what you're gonna do, for the opportunity to be a part of your family. We love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. So let me pick this up. It's Paul writing to the church of Philippi. We're gonna be in chapter one, look at verse 27 and, so, and following. We're gonna go through chapter two, verse four, but let me just read this first part to you. It says this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. 
For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. So let's go back and pick this apart. He starts with this idea, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. If you're reading the word of God, when you come to a phrase that says, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel, that should pique our interest. It should engage our mind a little bit. Look, I long, I long to live a life worthy of the gospel. I want to I wanna live a life worthy of the gospel. Some of you guys have been around long enough to remember our, our former pastor. He used to get up here every week, and whatever he preached on, he would close every service with what statement? Walk worthy. Walk worthy. Live your life in such a way that it's living a life worthy of the gospel. And so what does that look like? What does it look like to live a manner of life worthy of of the gospel of Christ. Well, according to Paul and the Holy Spirit, here's what he says. Whether I come to see you, I may hear that you are standing firm, hear this, in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That sounds like unity to me. Be of one mind, be of one spirit, striving, fighting side by side for the faith of the gospel. Here's what we need to understand first and foremost. The gospel is the one thing that unites all of us together. Everyone outside of Jesus Christ that's breathed air on this earth is a broken sinner just like me in need of a savior. And so that's what unites all of us together. That's what we bring to this party. It doesn't matter what part of town you live in, how much money you made, what state you hail from, all of that differs us. But the one thing that unites all of us together is our need for a savior. Because you see, what we bring to this party is our broken sinfulness. And God says, you're right, you're a sinner. But my son died for you. And so because of that, we get to have salvation. And we'll talk more about that in just a little bit. But what we all bring to this party is our need for a savior. That's what unites all of us together in here. So let's unite around the gospel. Let's be united around it. But then let's do what Paul talks about, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Let's fight for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's be a church. Let's let Scottsdale Bible Church be the church that fights for the gospel, that gets out there and doesn't let anything deter us from preaching the hope of Jesus Christ to the world. I, I've, I've said this before, and I, maybe I'm getting labeled as this guy, but man, I, I, I long for the day that we care less about someone's morality and care more about where they're gonna spend eternity and that we would fight harder for the gospel of Jesus Christ than we would about changing their behavior. What would that look like to get a church united around that in the hands of an all-powerful God, united around the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I think that's what God's calling us to. I think that's what he longs for, that we would fight for the gospel, that we would go out there and we pro proclaim the name of Jesus Christ to any and all that, would, that would God would put in front of us, standing firm in one spirit, in one mind, striving side by side, fighting side by side for the faith of the gospel. Then he says this, verse 28. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. Not frightened by anything in your opponents. Guys, let me, let me explain this to you. If we do this, if we unite around this, I don't want to blow smoke, but if we unite around being a church that fights for the gospel, we're going to face opposition. The gospel is not the most... Not the most uh, politically correct statement to make out there these days. It, it raises the ire of a lot. I had the opportunity when I was doing student ministries here, I would go to high schools. I was at three high schools every single week, bringing pizzas in, talking to hundreds of kids, hundreds of kids. 
we could talk about why we believe in the word of God. I could talk about the existence of God. I could talk about morality. I could talk about a hundred different things. The only time I ever got put on probation and got in trouble was when I stood up in front of a class and I said, look, Jesus Christ is the only way. He is the truth. There is no other way. The only time the administration chose to sit in the back of the room for the next three weeks is when I began to bring up the name Jesus Christ. Why? Because it is on some level offensive. Because we're saying, no, it's Jesus and there is nothing else. That's what it means to fight for the gospel. So don't think you're not gonna meet some opposition, but listen to what Paul says. He says, look, don't be frightened by the opposition. Don't be frightened by it. And then he gives us two things, two truths to hang on to. The first one is this. It's a sheer sign of their destruction, but your salvation. He's juxtaposing these two. It's a sheer sign of their destruction, but your salvation, and that is from God. Here's what he wants us to understand. Look, you might face opposition. They may come at you and go, oh, I don't want any of that Jesus stuff. You know, but it's a sheer sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. We win in the end. Paul's gonna, re you can keep reading later in Philippians. He's gonna say, look, our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. That's our hope. That's where we, that's where we, that's where we reside. Our citizenship is there. We are here for a momentary period of time and then bang, we are ushered into glory forever and ever. We win in the end. Paul wants us to remember that, be reminded of that, but he also wants us to understand and realize there is a world that is living out there. They're driving down Shea right now. They're flying down cactus, cruising down dynamite that don't know the hope of Jesus Christ and their end is destruction. And so here's a question for God's church. Here's a question for Scottsdale Bible Church. Do we, like Jesus Christ, when we see the hurting in the world, Go read Matthew 9. When you see the hurting in the world, do we have compassion for them? Do we realize and see that they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? Can we take off our hats of judgment, our hats of, of being critical of their behavior, and can we just have broken hearts for the fact that they don't know Jesus Christ? And does not, not well up in us enough, enough conviction, enough compassion in our soul to share the hope of Jesus with them? I think that's what Paul's trying to get at here. He's saying, look, you're gonna meet opposition, but don't, don't forget where they're coming from. So here's your homework. You're gonna get two things today, but here's the first thing. And you can do it now. If you wanna check out now, that's fine. I won't be offended. Sometime between now and when you fall asleep tonight, I want you to take five minutes, five minutes of your day. If you know Jesus Christ in this room, if you would call yourself a follower of Christ, take five minutes between now and when you fall asleep and answer this, and just think about this. What would your life be like without Jesus? Think for a moment and just ponder the reality of you have no hope of eternal life. This is it. This is all you got because the afterlife is not assured. Think for a second about what it would feel like as you look back at your past and all of the dumb, foolish things you've done that the Bible calls sin, all the people you've hurt, all the wrongs that you've done, that you have to carry that weight around with you because this idea of forgiveness and God's grace is completely foreign to you. Imagine, if you would, that you don't have the opportunity at any time, at any moment of any day to get on your knees and just cry out to your Father in heaven who loves you and just talk to God. That's been completely removed from your life. You are in this alone. And see if it doesn't sound very Ephesians 1-esque. You are without God and without hope in this world. Guys, you gotta understand, when Paul's writing about these opponents, that's their reality. That's the reality. 
That's the reality of the people you go to work with, you play golf with, your kid's school, at your school. I mean, this is the reality of people without Jesus Christ. That's what they carry around. Will we be a church that says, you know what, enough is enough. Let's go out and let's fight for the gospel and let's put the name Jesus on every opportunity we get and share the hope of Jesus Christ. Man, you wanna talk about living a life worthy of the gospel? Let's unite one mind, one spirit, and let's strive side by side for the faith of the gospel and see what God does with that. See what God does with that. What are we called to be? We're not called to, to win people's souls. We're called to be witnesses, to be a witness of what Christ is doing in our own life. So start with your story. Just go tell people your story. Here's how Christ has impacted me. Here's the reality, at least for me. I'll speak for myself. Maybe this isn't you. But far too many times when given the opportunity, I cower in fear. What if they ask me something I don't know? What if they reject me? What if they say, I don't want anything to do with your Jesus? And all of a sudden, I'm going to go, ah, okay, I'll not, not say anything. Man, no, let's let this be the season. Let's let this be the time that we say, God, I'm not going to let Satan deter me. I'm not going to let the enemy get in my ear, but we're going to fight for the gospel. And get, tell you right now, guys, we all start doing that. Here, Cactus, Northridge, everyone at Shea, we all decide we're going to unite around this. In the hands of a powerful God, it's world-changing. It's world-changing. Can we unite around the gospel? He's going to give us our second thing here in chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, this is Paul going over and beyond and above this idea of, look, if the gospel means anything to you, if it has any impact on your soul, if the gospel, if it, if it affects you at all, then make my joy complete. And the Maya is both Paul's and inspired by the Holy Spirit. I think we can infer it's God's joy as well. You want to make God's joy complete? This is what he says. Being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. To me, that reeks of unity. That we would unite together. One mind, one spirit, full accord. Unite together around what, Paul? What are you calling us? What's God calling us to unite around? Look what he says in verse three and four. Unite around this. Be of one mind around this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look out only for his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Can we unite around that? Let's be a church that unites around the reality that, look, we're going to love each other really well. We're going to care about each other really well. We're going to take our interests and make them secondary to the interests of the people sitting right around us. Can we become a loving family together that just loves and cares for each other? Man, you talk about powerful in the hands of God. That would be unbelievable if we could unite around that. If we could love each other really, really well. I'm going to tell you how these two things go hand in glove together as we unite for the gospel and we love each other really well. There, everyone right now, and you guys aren't nerds like we are as pastors, but right now every pastor in the world is trying to figure out how do we reach the next generation? How do we reach millennials? How do we reach the ones below the millennials? How do we, how do we reach? How are we going to reach the next generation? Christianity is dying. We've got to reach the next generation. How are we going to do it? You know what the next generation is doing right now? They're doing a lot of this. Post. Here's my breakfast picture. Here's a picture of me, filtered, changed. I don't even look the same, right? I mean, it's just, that's what they're doing. They're doing a lot of this. You know what they're not doing a lot of? This. 
How you doing, brother? Let's talk. Let's have a conversation. Let's engage with each other. You know what that tells me? You know what the reality of that is? This is going to get old real quick because this isn't real. They're starving for real, authentic, genuine community. And here's what we need to understand. Social media has done a very interesting thing. Everyone's projecting. Everyone's projecting what they want their life to look like. But it's all a facade. Most of it's a facade. Most of it's not real. And so what they're starving, what they realize is that I got a lot of friends on social media. I got a lot of people that like me, but they don't know the real me. And so I got to keep up with this facade. I got to keep up with this phony, fake, pretend world that's going on out there. Because if anybody knew the real me, they would reject me. And so you know what they want more than anything else? They want to find a place where they can walk in in their reality and their brokenness and their unfiltered self and experience a loving community that just loves them right where they're at. Are we going to be a church? Is Scottsdale Bible Church going to be that place that any and all, no matter how lost, no matter how broken, no matter how how far away from God they are, they would show up in this place and they would find a community that just loves each other and loves them right where they're at. Man, you you talk about powerful. You You give me a church like that in the hands of a powerful God and he will change the world. He will change the world. Because what they're starving for, you know, it's, it's John 13, right? Some of you guys have been around me long enough, we're tired of hearing this, but we're gonna keep talking about it. John 13, 34, 35, Jesus gathers his disciples. Judas just took off. He's got his 11 guys. He says, you're gonna change the world, men. People are gonna be sitting in a church somewhere in North Scottsdale 2,000 years from now because of your witness to this world. Here's what I want you to do. Love one another as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. By this, the whole world will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know how Jesus wanted his men to change the world? Loving each other, caring for each other. Why? Because it's the one thing we all want. There's not one of you in this room, not one of you at Cactus or Northridge or in any of the venues that woke up and said, I hope people hate me today. I kind of hope that I get rejected everywhere I go and uh, I don't want anyone to talk to me. No, we all wake up wanting to be loved on some level. So Jesus says, look, give them what they want more than anything else. Love them right where they're at. You know what we dream about as pastors? I'm sure Jamie's the same. I know Rick is. You know what I dream about at night when I can't sleep? It's a little weird. We're kind of nerdy this way. But you know what I dream about? I dream about the day somebody decides, you know, let's give church a shot. You've tried kind of everything else. Nothing's really working. Let's try, let's try church out. And they pull into our campus And long before Derek strums a chord on his guitar, long before Jamie opens the pages of scripture, long before anything takes place from the stage, that those individuals that show up here just watch the family of God be the family of God with each other. And they sit there and they look and they go, I don't know what these people have, but I want it. I want to be a part of what they have. And then all of a sudden, they realize, you know what we have? We have Jesus. And the gospel message rings out long before it's shared from up front, but it's impacted by the lives of the people right around them. Man, you, you do that. We do that as a church. World changing. Culture changing. Life changing for individuals. Will we be a church that unites around that? Now get this, this takes risk. Okay, this takes risk. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you your second round of homework. Okay, take your five minutes. Your five minutes are up if you already started. So tune back in. Five minutes sometime, but if you already did it, now you're going to look at your, here's the other thing. 
when service is quote unquote over, when the campus pastor gets up and says amen, God bless, have a great week, from now until Easter, I don't know what that is, I think it's seven, maybe eight weeks, can we as a church here, Cactus, Northridge, Venue, Chapel, wherever you're at on campus, that you would say, for the next 10 minutes, we're not gonna go out to our car, we're not gonna think about breakfast, we're gonna take 10 minutes after every single service, and we're gonna get to know the people sitting right around us. Here's the reality, you guys are creatures of habit. Most of you are sitting in the same seat you've sat in for the last six months, if not longer, and the same people sitting next to you are the same people. So guess what? You start to get to know the people right around you, you're probably gonna see them next week and the week after that, and all of a sudden you begin to become a family together. And this thing begins to grow as we get real together and we love each other right where we're at. Can we commit to that? I'm telling you right now, you, you, you do that, people are gonna take notice. Man, what is with this place? They just love each other. It's unbelievable. You got, you got to come see this. Because we love each other right where we're at. Let me give you four questions for you introverts that are a little intimidated already going, okay, I'm going to get out of here. Let me give you four questions. Okay, real simple. Ask them what their name is. Tell me your name. What do you do for work? Or what did you do for work? Give me, give me a little snapshot of your life story. How about this one? How can I pray for you? Ooh, how can I pray for you? And maybe this one. How long have you been coming to SBC? How long has Scottsdale Bible Church been a community for you? Four simple, easy questions that might begin to unite us together as a family, might begin to break us down because there are some people that come sit, listen, and leave, and they go, man, I'm part of this huge church, but I know no one. Let's never let that be said anymore. Let's be the ones that unite together, that rally together. It takes risk. It's going to take some of you, some of you right now are already thinking, I ain't doing that. Try it. Okay? Try it. Maybe just this week. You don't have to commit till Easter, but at least this week, try it. Just to see what it does, because you know what you're going to find? You're going to find a person on the other side that needs Jesus just as much as you do, that might be able to love you right where you're at, might be able to speak some encouraging words over you, and all of a sudden, you become united with another person, and something incredible begins to take place the family begins to come together. We begin to love each other really well. And we begin to live a life worthy of the gospel as we unite around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we unite around loving each other. Man, imagine that. Envision it. What would it look like if Scottsdale Bible Church chose these two things to unite around? You've heard them said a number of different ways. But getting real and then getting out there. And if you want to get God, I put some other scripture in your notes there. Go look at those throughout this week, just in your own time with the word. See if you don't pick up on a common theme, this idea of unity, 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 be united, love each other, forgive each other. It's Jesus' high priestly prayer, right, that we would be one as he is one. Let's unite together. Let's not let anybody leave this place without being loved and encouraged. In Hebrews 10, right, spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. That's going to take some effort. It can't be Neil up front doing it for everybody. He can get a lot because he's Neil. Same thing over at Rustin can get a lot of different people. Ray loves a lot of people in the chapel. Rick is all over the place. It can't just be the campus pastor's role. It's got to be us deciding, you know what? No, we're going to put our own interests aside. I know you're hungry, but you got some time. Okay? We got some time. You, you can do this. Look, not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
Here's where I want to close. We've talked a lot about this thing called the gospel. We've sung songs about the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. We've sung songs about we believe. We, we, we've, we've covered the gamut and used this name Jesus a lot. And we've used this phrase, the gospel, a lot. I would be remiss if I didn't share the hope of Jesus Christ with some of you in here because you're sitting here going, man, what is this gospel you talk about? What is this hope you speak of? So I'm going to close with the gospel, but before I do that, I want to say this. Your campus pastors are going to come forward. They're going to give you an opportunity to give towards this Better Together campaign. And I will take full responsibility for dropping the ball last week, in my opinion. Uh, it's my, my fault. We, we made a video. Some of you guys saw it sharing all the things we want to do. Look at our new playground and look at our new stage and look at this and we're going to build a new two-story family center at Cactus and look at all this stuff. Make no mistake about it, guys. You're not, you're not giving to stuff. You're not. You're giving to the gospel of Jesus Christ and what those things represent. If Frick gets his, his family center over there, that's going to be a place where people get to hear about the hope of Jesus Christ. It's where the family of God gets to gather together and be the family of God with each other and to love each other really well. It's not about the stuff. It's about the message that's going to go forth and it's about the community that's going to take place. That's what we're giving towards. Can you get behind that? Can we be a church that would rally around that, unite around that? Let me read to you. It's not on your screen, so just listen where you're at. Chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. This is how Paul concludes this section. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he, Jesus Christ, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he, being Jesus, emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, Catch this, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that every, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's what all of you guys need to know, and some of you guys know this already, but there's some of you in here that need to hear this maybe for the first time. You know what we have in common? We're sinners. You can call it whatever you want. Mistakes, bad decisions, miscues, whatever you want to call it, that's fine. The Bible calls it sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That means this. You and I, we've got a price to pay. It's death. Either our own or Jesus Christ's. See, what Paul just got done talking about is saying this, is saying God came to earth in the form of Jesus Christ. He lived a sinless life. At the end of his life, he found himself in a garden with a choice to make. Go be with his heavenly father or to lay down his life for the sins of the world. He made his choice. They nailed him to a cross and he died a horrible death so that you and I could be forgiven if we so choose. If we so choose to put our faith in Jesus Christ and experience the love of God in a way that you can't without Jesus. And so if you're here this morning at any of our campuses, any of our venues, and you're sitting there and you say, man, I've never experienced this hope, never experienced this forgiveness, and you'd like to this morning for the very first time, I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment. You just pray it quietly right where you're at. I'm going to pray for the rest of us 
as well. We're not going to call you forward. We're not going to have you stand up or do anything. It's just between you and the Lord. But if you want to put your faith in Christ for the very first time, I'm going to have you pray this prayer. Because we are a church that's going to unite around the gospel. And we want you to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want you to experience all that there is to experience with your heavenly father, but as well as with the community right around you as you get to love each other really well. So let me pray for us. And then we'll have the campus pastors come forward and conclude our time. If you want to pray this prayer silently where you're at for the very first time, just pray this. God, thank you so much for loving me. God, I admit this morning that I am not perfect. I've made mistakes. And because of that, I need you to do what only you can do. So God, this morning, right now, I'm trusting in the fact that your son was who he said he was. God, that he died in my place that he rose from the dead. And because of that, God, I can be forgiven. So God, I'm asking you to come into my life right now. I'm asking you to make me into the man or woman that you want me to be. I'm gonna thank you in advance for this journey, for walking this road with me. I love you. For the rest of us, let me pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be a part of a church that can unite around your gospel, that can unite around loving each other. God, I pray that we would do this. I pray that we would catch this vision. God, I pray that we would do what only you can do, and that is use us to impact the world around us. God, there's a hurting world out there that needs the hope of Jesus Christ. Would you give us the opportunities, and would you give us the courage to share that hope with the world around us? God, we'll thank you in advance for what you're going to do because we realize anything good that happens is from your hand anyway. And so we want to give you praise and glory already. Thank you for what you're going to do. We love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.